Not everything that comes at us is God's will. We have confusion. One of our biggest areas of confusion in the church is concerning the sovereignty of God. We know that God is all-powerful. We know that, that he is in charge of everything. But with that, we make a mistake in thinking he is in control of everything. There's a difference from being in charge and being in control. If you think he is in control of everything, then you have to believe that Hitler was his will, that he was just going to work it for his purposes. Why would God raise something up to be his will that he empowers you to pray against? Welcome to Reforming Slavics. Today we're going to be talking about theodicy and God's sovereignty. My name is Nick and Tom is with me today. Hey, what's up guys? So essentially theodicy is the vindication of the divine goodness and providence in the view of existence of evil. Essentially, if evil exists, which it clearly does in this world, how does God stand in reconciliation to it? And how do we reconcile the goodness of God and the existence of evil? And this is a pretty big topic that a lot of people approach in regards to atheism and their denial of God because there's so much evil in this world. God does not exist. There's an issue in regards to people who truly believe that God can only do good things and is not responsible for evil. And so everything that happens that happens to be evil or war or trauma or disaster can't possibly be under his control. And so that's what we're going to be talking about today. Yeah, and the clip we just watched or listened to was a Bill Johnson, popular preacher uh, in Bethel, Bethel Church in Redding, California. And the reason we just we wanted to start because we wanted to contrast to what kind of what we what our reform perspective kind of is, right? Yeah. So the idea that God is not responsible for evil, like the very last clip where he says, "If you believe that God is in charge, then you must believe." God was in charge of Hitler. Yeah. Well, he says God is in charge, but he's not in control. Yeah. In which God, is almost kind of like a, ma- a very makes, semantic missing, game. Yeah, yeah. It's just messing with words, but yeah. But at the end of the day, I can fully and um, biblically say that God was in charge of Hitler. God decreed that Hitler was going to be a person that was going to be born. That was going to be someone who went through world war one and all of history and eventually came into power and did the atrocity of the Holocaust yeah. and was the founding member that started the entire World War II, ending in, obviously, millions and millions of deaths. And yet, God was standing and in control and in charge of all that. And I think that's the view that Scripture provides for us. And we can dive into some verses and kind of talk about that. So the things we're going to be talking about today is the providence of God and does God react or ordain to evil and things in the world particularly? How does God relate to all creation, nature, natural disasters? Does God send plagues? Uh, does you know, does so-called random acts of luck exist? Or what is chance? And evil, uh, did God create evil? Um, and obviously we just listened to a quick clip of discussions in regards to how does God relate to evil? And ultimately God's will, is it revealed or secret? And there's very, I mean, the entire Old Testament is peppered with ideas of God and him purposing or sending or even accomplishing things that would seem as evil, right? When yeah. when, when Joseph is sold into slavery, yeah, and then he spends 
his time Potiphar's house, eventually goes to prison. Pharaoh has a dream, and Joseph is brought out and asked to interpret the dream. And when Joseph comes to Pharaoh, Joseph says this, God has revealed to you what he is going to do or going to accomplish. And that's in um, Genesis chapter 40, 41, I believe. And what he's saying there is that God did not only ordain the seven years of blessing that was going to come upon Egypt and they're going to have plenty. But right after that, God also ordained the seven years of famine. He is the one who purposed that. Yeah. And there's there's tons of tons of scriptures that show God, you know, using this fallen world for His glory, and ultimately our viewpoint is that uh, through these through these fallen creatures, right, us, and through this world, God is ultimately using evil for His glory. Right? Yeah, that's... he didn't he he didn't create evil because he is good, and evil cannot proceed from him. But at the same time, the scripture is very clear that he ordains evil. Yeah, there's there's this there's a large majority of Christian people who would say that God can't possibly be sovereign and in control of evil because they equate the two um, contradictory terms in their minds that are God is good and holy, yeah, and God says he's not the author of evil and so he cannot be in control or ordain or use evil in any way to accomplish his will in other words evil or, or evil things like sickness like uh, disasters and hurricanes and tragedies and terrorism and war all are a are caused or a result of either satan or our unbelief or something outside of god's purview and decree and so, because the the reason is because people want to uphold His holiness, right? If God is good and holy, He cannot be responsible for evil. We even have yeah. scripture that says He's not the author of evil, and we we stand with that because God does not create evil. Yeah. So, um, I don't know, I don't remember, but in that clip, right? Didn't he talk about Hitler? Yeah. Yeah, and so. The funny thing is, though, if you believe that God ordained and it was God's will to crucify his son, isn't that evil that God planned? Yeah, like people discuss evil in regards to their own measurements and their own idea of how bad things are. Ultimately, we prescribe to the idea that the way we measure what is good or bad is to the standard of God's law. And the most evil thing that has ever occurred in history was the crucifixion of the holy and innocent son of God himself. And not only was that orchestrated by people, but God himself predestined Christ in order that underneath the hands of the Pontius Pilate, right under Pontius Pilate and the wicked men of Israel, he was crucified. Yeah. And so God was orchestrating and ordaining that specific event. And imagine how much, how many little details had to go into the orchestration of that event. Yeah. And yeah, it says in Acts 4, 28, um, 
even starting from verse 27, For truly in this city they were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you appointed both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan predestined to take place. Yeah, so God predestined by the hand of Herod and Pontius Pilate that Christ would be crucified. Yeah. And so God is very specific in the way he acts in this world. He decrees things and they are accomplished. So how does God relate to creation, nature, and natural disasters? Um, We see in Scripture that God, in fact, is the powerful God that he is, and he ordains natural disasters. He is the one who makes hurricanes come and seas calm down. Um, The biggest example of this would be the flood. God sent the flood. Yeah. And the purpose of this flood was to literally kill every single person on earth except for eight individuals god was responsible for that act after we see every single famine that is mentioned is by his decree in regards to joseph and the people of israel going through the 400 years of slavery 430 years of slavery and then god punishing egyptians with the plague Right, And people will say, well, that's just the judgment of God. But nevertheless, God is sending these plagues yeah. here's a, by his hand. Here's a scripture in Amos 3.6. Is the trumpet blown in the city and the people are not afraid? Does a disaster come to a city unless the Lord has done it? And, you know, it's a rhetorical question. It's obviously no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so God is the one who orchestrates natural disasters. And yeah. a lot so of people... What's, yeah. the, what's the implication of that? You know that it's it's not just you know a one-time thing you know some people say um that well maybe you could look at the old testament maybe small times in the new testament where god did that on special occasions Mm -hmm. but then 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 it's like okay then how do you know when it's god and when it's not yeah what what is the special occasion what is not and in fact we can we can see that uh when there's two parts of scripture that kind of mirror each other, right? When Joseph's brothers come to him and say, you know, when dad was dying, he told us to tell you to forgive us. <laughs> Interesting how that works. And Joseph said, you meant it for evil, yeah. but God meant it. What was the it? It was the act of the brothers for good. And then later on, Paul mirrors that sentiment in Romans eight twenty eight. What did he say? Romans eight twenty eight, all things work for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Love him and are called according to his purpose. Yeah. Paul says that all things, and in that particular context, all does in fact mean all things work together for good for those who love him. So, including evil things. So, so, so yeah, like I said, does does the fact that Christians get cancer work for good for those who love him? Yes. Does the fact that there is war Yes. Does the fact that there is anxiety and depression and horrible family situations? Yes. Does the fact that you may have lost your job? Yeah. Like the answer is yes. And we could see that mirrored throughout scripture over and over again. And the only way we can, we can firmly say that God isn't responsible for all the acts of the world that are good and evil is the fact that he's sovereign. Like we can surely say that God is in charge of these things because of his sovereignty and his sovereignty does not only mean 
like Bill Johnson in the beginning of the clip said that God's sovereignty means he's in charge, but doesn't mean he's in control. So if you break that down, that means God may be in charge of this world, and he's not in control of the evil things. But if God is not in control, then he's not in control of the good things as well. Right? Yeah. And that creates a whole host of issues for Christians. How can we reliably pray to a God who isn't in control of the things and the circumstances in our lives? How can I pray to God about the war in Ukraine if he is not, in fact, in control of the war in Ukraine? Yeah. You'd pretty much have... And then not only that, but there would be so many prophecies throughout the Old Testament. You know, like we even just talked about how Jesus was going to be crucified, how it was going to be specific, you know, down to the small little details. His bones weren't going to be broken, all these things. And then how is that How is that going to work if God isn't in control of that, of that evil? Okay, this is a rabbit trail, but let's go down it. From the beginning... Uh, Seth is the lineage where Christ comes from, right? Um, Cain kills kills Abel, and then Seth is the righteous seed from uh, Adam and Eve that the, the lineage of Christ. The son came. that they had after Abel. Abel died. Yeah, and later on we see that you know there's Abraham, there's Isaac, there's Jacob, and then what happens is the twelve tribes come along and what happens is well the obvious seed is judah but what judah does is he has a son his son dies for being evil yeah then he tells his other son to get married to the widow he does but he doesn't want to procreate so he dies and he tells the widow hey i'm going to give you my younger son and then eventually when he grows up i'll give him to you and marry him that doesn't happen he he eventually thinks that his daughter-in-law is a prostitute and then they commit adultery and then he finds out that she committed adultery. She, he wants to kill her. Yeah. And he realizes it was, oh, it was me who happened to commit adultery with her. Like that whole orchestration is the lineage of Christ. In fact... And that's like one chapter? Yeah, it's like one chapter of... What, what is it? Like uh, Judah disobeying God, lying. First of all, Judah lied to his daughter-in-law. Then he committed adultery with his daughter-in-law. Then he wanted to kill his daughter-in-law. And then he finally reconciled the fact that he was the one who, like all that sin, all that sin was a part of the story that Christ came from. Who else? There was not only one prostitute, right? There's another prostitute, Tamar, in the lineage of Christ. And then we have the whole entire story of, you know, David and, that whole tragedy and how who, who who does christ come from david david but solomon solomon was a uh you know relationship that david had with bathsheba mm. how did that how did that play out well you know he kind of destroyed a family and killed her husband that was in the lineage of the evil that men commit and yet christ came from that lineage yeah and so we see that the fact that christ was born came from adultery, came from murder, came from all these horrible sins that were committed by people, and yet God was weaving and orchestrating a tapestry for Christ to come and to redeem us. Without without any of that sin, 
we would not have the lineage of Christ. And so God is very specific in his ordaining and using um, good. And he's also very specific in using the evil that we produce. And in, he is sovereign control of everything in order to accomplish our redemption. Right. Yeah. Because from, from a perspective where it's like God doesn't, you know, I don't know, what's, what's the word like? ordain evil right or yeah. like ordain... god is not the author of evil would be the scriptural yeah basis but he would see all these people sinning right sleeping sleeping with their relatives and then killing them and all <laughs> these weird stuff and then uh what is the only other view of that would that be like god is reacting yeah in other words god is trying to catch up like oh oh no david just um slept with this woman and he killed her husband um we need a pure line for Christ. Like, what are God the Father sitting? Like, what am I going to do? I can't control the fact that David committed the sin, right? That would yep. be the other view of God. And then it would be like God makes promises, and then, I mean, maybe a way they would see it is God makes promises on on him looking forward and seeing what sins people are going to do. Yeah, but but the in the same way, he's still reacting. Yeah. And then you have a God that's learning knowledge, and that's not who God is. God is omniscient. He knew everything, and he did. He does not learn. It, the The Bible says that who is the Lord's counselor? Like who can instruct him? Who, who can could, instruct the Lord? Who could give him knowledge? And yeah. so you have a dilemma of uh, if God doesn't, um, you know, foreordain and control everything um, of what's going to happen, then you pretty much have a reactory God. Yeah, uh, you know, R.C. Sproul's quote, there are no random maverick molecules in the universe, not underneath God's sovereignty. I'm paraphrasing. And that brings up the idea of, like, luck and chance and random random probability. Yeah. Like, what is the probability that Christ would be born? Throughout, throughout the, you know, spectrum of the Old Testament saints and the lineage of Christ, there were so many issues that occurred familially um, and just... Israel being sent into captivity, all the all the accomplishments that needed to happen, were they just orchestrated by random acts of people who, you know, decided to get married to this person? Or even the idea that Christ was supposed to die at a certain time. was was the were, were all the people who were responsible for Christ's death just random free moral agents who who were just making decisions? In other words, could have Pilate decided you know what? I'm going to let Jesus go today. Would that have ended our salvation? Like, would we not have redemption anymore? Or what if Judas felt bad and he, he repented before he sold Jesus into, into uh, not slavery, <laughs> into uh, the Sanhedrin? Yeah. Right? I mean, but the Bible clearly says that even Judas, you know, he's the man, the son of perdition. He's yeah. the one that was the scripture like you know the scripture may be fulfilled yeah and the, even um talking about luck uh proverbs sixteen thirty three says that the lot lot is cast into lo- uh, the lap but it's every decision is from the lord so human beings you know they could they could you know decide oh we're gonna flip a coin mm-hmm. but at the end of the day god knows physics or he's he's upholding physics you know he's upholding the whole world in his hand as like in Hebrews, it says that Jesus is upholding the whole world by, by the his power, power yeah, by the by power his... of his word. Right. Yeah. 
I don't, want, I don't want to misquote that. But that doesn't negate the idea of probability, right? If you flip a coin a hundred times, yeah, the probability is 50% is going to fall on heads, 50% yeah. is going to fall on tails. But the moment you're deciding what exact, let's say you're, you're, you've flipped, you know, we know the probability. Yeah. Cause you could flip a coin and be like, uh, I don't want to yeah, go by the coin anyway. It's, but let's say it is 50, 50. Yeah. God is going to determine what 50 it is. The moment you flip it for the specific mm-hmm. purpose. Right. And yeah. so God ordains and plans all these things and he is fully in control. I guess one of the objections, like how would you answer? Um, is that if God, um, is a control of everything that it, it kind of removes, removes, uh, the realness of our actions. Like one of the objections I hear is that, uh, you, then you're just like a robot. Then you're just like a, you've been programmed. Yeah. You, you have no free will. You are, yeah. in other words, here's a bad caricature of this view. Um, especially from the example of the potter and, um, the clay pots in Romans nine, right? This is the bad view of it. God creates a puppet. He dangles a puppet and uh, he does something with a puppet that's inappropriate. Then he smacks the puppet and says, bad puppet. Why did you do that? While he is the one dangling the puppet. That is not the view of scripture, nor is it the view we hold. Yeah. Right? We hold the view that God wrote a story. And this is Doug Wilson's example that I just mentioned. This is another one of his examples. God wrote a story and we are characters in it. The more God writes a story, the more freedom we have to participate in a story, right? Um, Shakespeare wrote Hamlet, and so the more Shakespeare writes, the more Hamlet can act, right? It is fully 100% Hamlet acting in the play, but it's also 100% Shakespeare directing it because he's the he's the author, right? Yeah. And if we believe that God is the author and the one who decreed this world into creation, and he created us, and he is all-powerful, all-knowing, and in fact, the one who ordains everything, then the more he writes our story, the more freedom we have. Because the only way we have freedom is if he wrote it. Yeah. You know, and we act it out. So that's a view called, that's called compatibilism, right? Uh, Our free will, quote-unquote free will, is, and God's free will are compatible. They are not contradictory. Uh, Charles Spurgeon on this regard says a lot of people ask him well how do you reconcile God's sovereignty and and human responsibility and Charles Spurgeon says well friends don't need to be reconciled they're not at odd they're actually coherent and and compatible they go hand in hand you are waking up and you are living your life and you don't feel as though someone is forcing you to do anything you you act freely and yet behind the scenes that is exactly the tapestry that God is weaving and writing like uh, Proverbs sixteen nine says, the heart of man plans his way, but Lord, the Lord establishes his steps. You know, and Proverbs twenty twenty four says, the man's steps are from the Lord. How can man understand his way? Yeah, it, both are true. You are fully free in the context of your life, and God is fully r- responsible and uh, sorry, fully sovereign. The issue we run into is when uh, the idea of the unstoppable force meaning the immovable object happens right (laughs) like am i more free than god and that's the claim that a lot of people would make god created a world in which he purposefully in his sovereignty gave human beings autonomous free will autonomous meaning yeah without border without any causation or or, or 
the definition that I saw when I googled it that is like self law. Yeah. Self govern. Well, auto. Yeah. Self. Which no, is which no is nomianism uh, is you know antinomianism anti law yeah. so nomianism law self law we are law unto ourselves. Which is pretty crazy to think that there would be two self law self governing laws in the universe. Yeah, self governing. Like what happens when they collide? One is gonna. <laughs> one is one has to win. Yeah. Ultimately, there can't be two gods in this universe. There is only one that could be more powerful than the other. Yeah. Uh, you know, you hear that illustration like God can't, God can't make a rock big, big, uh, big enough that he can't move, right? Or he can't lift it. Yeah. In the same way, you know, I thought uh, I was thinking of this one time in church after a sermon. I was thinking. Well, then can can God make a will that's stronger than that's more free than him? Like yeah, a will that could thwart his plans, a will that is more powerful than his. And that's pretty much the objection. Uh, um, you know, atheists pretty much say, talk about how can talking about the problem of evil and how how does God relate to it? Mm-hmm. Pretty much the, one of the responses uh, of like Arminian Arminianism would be. Well, God is not responsible for it. It's out as outside of his purview. Yeah, he would say that. Oh, well, uh, man created. Uh, I mean, God created self-governing or uh, free-willed creatures that were gonna do sin, and they, out of their own choices, they decided to do that. Yeah, and God has no ability to control them. They are free. But it's funny because they still have to answer the question. Well. Didn't God know that they were going to do that? Yeah. They they can't get out of the question because it's the same way. Yeah. And, and you know, um, people would say, well, God, our view of God would be charged with the um, guilt of commission. He committed evil, right? But in the Arminian view, God is in violation of omission, meaning that if God sees an act and he sees evil, he is, in other words, a murder happens. Is God present in the room when the murder happens? Is God giving breath and life to the murderer? Is he in charge of every heartbeat that the murderer gets? Yeah. Then why doesn't he stop it? Oh, because, you know, free will. And so, in that view, God is actually still guilty, but he's now guilty of omission, meaning he did not do enough to prevent something. Right? And we would say, no, God is, in fact, aware that that murder is going to happen. God is very aware of what's going on in the world, and he is using that to accomplish his purposes and his goals. That does not make him the author of evil, right? A great a great thing we bring up all the time, it's a quote by Vodi Bakum, when someone asked him, like, why does God use all these sinful people? Like, how can God use sin to accomplish his, his works? to accomplish his, his acts like can't god use like the good people like god can't use evil people and buddy bachram's response is like when you find a good person in this world let me know yeah in other words we're all sinners falling short of the grace of god and so god has no choice but to use evil people yeah so and then there's also just the whole thought of you know how could how could god decide to strike down and kill a whole entire nation you know like pretty much command his 
Jerusalem to destroy and genocide a whole entire nation. Mm-hmm. Like how how is God is able to do that? And the and obviously uh from our perspective is that everyone is guilty before God. Everyone after Adam, including Adam, have become guilty because of the imputed sin that they have that they have gained. Yeah. Pretty much Adam was the head and as one member of a football team does a penalty, the whole team suffers. Yeah, there is there is this idea that God is in fact just dishing out due reward for sin. What is due reward for sin? Romans six, death. The wages of sin is death. Yeah. The <laughs> death is pretty much the arrester is the person that goes and hunts you down and takes you to the, the judgment seat. Yeah. It is appointed for a man wants to die and then judgment. Every one, every person will be judged, but it depends on like is Jesus there, uh, advocating for your for uh, for you, or, or are you just gonna be standing there naked with your own own righteousness? <laughs> yeah, yeah, and like the examples that are given in Scripture, especially in the Old Testament, are pretty pretty harsh. For example, there is a segment of. Uh, how when I say would it be prosperity gospel in regards to people who believe that God's will is always to heal or is that word of faith movement like what or would you label that the idea that it is always God's will to heal and it is never God's will to have any disease or sickness yeah I would say word of faith theology um, word of faith kind of has to do with um, if you have enough faith you know you can speak words or make declarations and you could as God, you know, and he will always, as long as you have enough faith, he will keep you healthy. He will always prosper you uh, financially. Um, the problem is not with God. It's that it's either your lack of knowledge, uh, your lack of understanding, your lack of revelation. Um, but as you progress in your Christian life, uh, you're supposed to. And also the whole thing of if you sow a seed into a ministry, it'll grow. Yeah, it'll be you'll pretty much gain uh, benefit the blessing of of you sow a seed, a financial seed, and you'll be able to uh, reap the rewards, rewards, you know, a hundredfold gains. But a specific aspect of their theology is that it is always God's will to heal. And if you happen to be sick, it is always the devil's doing, right? And so, and the reason they say this is because they can't attribute the fact that God can cause sickness or illness to a person because that would make him sound kind of culpable and guilty of evil but when you look at scripture moses is talking to a burning bush and what does god say who made man's mouth who makes him mute who makes him blind i do yeah what about the fact that when moses is speaking and aaron and his sister decide to go against moses God sends leprosy, yeah, and they're leprous as the white snow. Is it? Is it not God who sent that? It's it's funny because, you know, some preachers would say God can't give what He doesn't have. Yeah, but it's like, okay, does God have leprosy then? Yeah, does God have tumors? He sent tumors to a nation, right? Because they were they had a uh, pretty much had the Ark of the Covenant. Yeah, the the <laughs> Philistines took the Ark of the Covenant in battle they brought it into the temple of their god and the next morning their god was flat on the floor the next morning his hands and legs were cut off and so um the scripture says 
tr translate either bleeding hemorrhoids or extreme tumors. Yeah. Uh, God sent those as judgment on the Philistines, and once they sent the ark back to Israel, tumors disappeared. But Nick, that was the Old Testament. Like God works in different ways in the covenants, right? Mm. Uh, well, you know, <laughs> God is the same God of the Old and New Testament. He doesn't change. God, God is the same yesterday, today, forever, right? And uh, also, Jesus in the New Testament, he cast he cast uh, the woman into a sick bed. You know, the prostitute. Yeah. And it also comes in a, it comes with a sword and his robe is dipped in blood. Yeah, and so we see that God, in fact, has uses not only for, you know, judgment, but he also has uses for sickness in order that he may purify his saints. Like, especially in regards to the church, all the apostles died horrible deaths. Paul was sick and shipwrecked and beaten and bruised so often right he had illnesses timothy had an illness that paul asked him to have you know some wine at times for in the stomach there are scriptures that specifically address the fact that those who were in god's will still suffered yeah. sickness and pestilence and trials and specifically in their health yeah um maybe we could talk about really quickly and this would be the last thing uh god's will uh, his revealed versus his secret, secret will, will or prescriptive versus decreed decreed so can you define decreed will like like define god's decreed will um versus his prescriptive will prescriptive will i can give you i, I well, guess just any 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 of like the 10 commandments yeah that'd be his oh wait that's his prescriptive will prescriptive will so god's decreed will is his decree meaning Whatever God has planned out for this world is going to happen. Yeah. This world, or this, this, the entire history of the world is a story, is a novel that God has written. And God knows the end of the novel. So do we, right? We get to worship and honor and glory Him in Him and glorify Him forever and ever. No, ne never ceasing because we have the book of Revelation. We also know that the beginning of creation was by Him. But we don't know the details of our lives. You don't know what you're going to eat tomorrow. You don't know if there will be famine in our land or if there will be war or when you will die. We don't know any of those things. But God has all those details so specifically and meticulously planned out that he knows every single molecule in this world. It says that not a hair will fall off your head, right? Or not a sparrow will fall. Unless how the much, Lord, unless the Lord wills, and how much more worth are you than a sparrow? Yeah. And so that is God's decreed will, meaning His story that He had laid out for the history of this world, and it's not going to change, and it will happen. And His, but obviously we don't know it. Yeah, we don't know. That's why we call it sometimes a secret will, meaning that we we only find out about it as we're experiencing it, right? Yeah. So his decreed will is the de the decree of God is the thing that's going to happen no matter what. He had, like like in the scriptures it says, whatever, our God is in the heavens, he does whatever he pleases. And he has laid out this path and he will accomplish his works. None can stay his hand. Now his prescriptive will is the things that were revealed to us. In other words, prescribed. When a doctor prescribes medication for you, he expects you to take it and get better. And the prescriptive 
will of God is the things that we are told to live by. Yeah. Like it, the Ten Commandments. And one, one more example with the decree. It was interesting, like, you know, in Luke 22, 31, where he's talking to uh, Peter, and he's like, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat, but I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned, again, strengthen your brothers. And notice it says, and when you have turned. It doesn't say if you have turned. That's pretty much God guaranteeing that Peter was going to turn back to Christ. Yeah. And that's why we have could have confidence that he will keep us. He like, will never forsake dude, us. Dude, think about the orchestration that had to happen with Peter. Peter had to be there. Like, God timed the moment a chicken clucked. What if that chicken happened to be dead and roasted because the guy got hungry? Like, did God factor that into his matrix of ideas? Or did God actually design that moment in that way where he was asked by one person, then he was asked by the maid, then people gather around the fire, and then he denied Christ three times, yeah. and then the rooster quoted. Whatever like, Jesus oh. says is going to happen, it's going to happen, right? That's his decree to will, and there's nothing you could change about it. But a lot of the things that... Um, you know, people say is that how are you going to pray uh, if it's God's will to heal you or for something like that? Or if it's God's will for him to stop this hurricane, then you're then you're pretty much praying against God's will. And you don't know if it's God's like, yeah, how can you pray? How can you pray for God to do something if you don't know if it's his will or not? Right. Yeah. And our answer to that is, well, first, first of all, prayer is the foundational way we speak with God. And so not only do we need to do what God commands us to pray to him because we acknowledge all our strength and hope yeah. comes from him. But also you don't know what you don't know. And that's where God's prescriptive will comes in. In his prescriptive will, he prescribes to us to pray. Yeah, his revealed will. Yeah. And so he had revealed to us first the Ten Commandments, right? Does everyone fulfill the Ten Commandments? No. Does anyone fulfill the Ten Commandments? No. Except for Christ. And yeah. so the big question would be, well, why would God tell you to do something you can't? Because he told you to obey the Ten Commandments, yeah. and you can't. It's not pretty much what Pelagius said. He said, how can, you know, in the very, what was it, like, second century, or mm -hmm. third century, there was this great debate with Pelagius and uh, Augustine. And there's, he was saying, how can, how can God pretty much command for you to do something unless you're able to do it? And so his view and his mindset was, Oh, the laws and the commandments, you're able to do them. Like, Jesus was just a good roadmap. Yeah. Which was, you know, Pelagianism, which was obviously shut down by the church. Well, also, Paul has has always, you know, been in Romans 9, says, you know, how, how can God, what was it, the, the objection to Paul, how does he find fault for who can resist his will? Right? The idea that, well, if God told me his commandments and I can't do them, well, I can't be responsible for that. And yet God says, you must obey the Ten Commandments, right? So that's a prescriptable, which we can't accomplish. And yeah. so that's why and we need the righteousness of Christ and his grace and his atonement on the Christ and his righteousness alone imputed to us that we can trust in. Yeah. And then once we receive the Holy Spirit and through prayer and sanctification, then we're able to put to death those deeds yeah, so of the flesh. Again, uh, we, we see God's prescriptive will revealed in scripture and we obey it and god's decreed or secret will is the things that are actually occurring to us and we only get to find out about them while we live them out yeah. or when we get to, so when to you glory. would say when you would say was it god's will that hitler would kill 
all those Jews? Yes and no. It was God's decreed will that that would happen. Yeah. But it was against God's Ten Commandments or any of his morality that Hitler may try to commit genocide, right? It was against his decreed will. So God could have stopped him. Yes, he could have. But he already created a world and he already wrote the story of the Jewish people. He already wrote the story of World War II. He already wrote the end of this world. He like We even know how the world ends, right? Christ comes in glory and we win. But we don't know the details of our day-to-day lives. But he has planned them out to this, you know, to subatomic molecule and particle. He has directed all those things. And so that's what we can trust that when we do pray to him, we can trust in his actions and his ability to guide our lives to actually accomplish what Romans 8, 28 does say. And the end of Romans 8 says, right, for who can separate us from the love of God? And it gives you a huge list. All things in creation, nor life, nor death, nor height, nor depth, right? Except man's free will. Except, well, yeah, except man's free will can separate us. No, of course not. We are part of creation. That includes all things, right? Yeah, all things. (laughs) We are a part of creation. But the whole point is, we can trust in the solidity and the, the the power of God to sustain us because he is in control of everything. Like the reason you pray to him is because he is in control. Yeah. And obviously we have more that we could talk about. You know. Well, this is just the tip of the iceberg. Yeah. And I think that was a pretty place, good place to stop. I mean, further on, we could talk about like, you know, why should we evangelize and like, how do our prayers affect God? Um, why should i pray yeah and obviously our answer would be you know god has used he's he ordained these things so that we could share in the glory of you know making disciples of evangelizing sharing the gospel yeah god is also prayer you know it's such an amazing thing it's gonna change us we're gonna be sanctified through these processes it's not like yeah and obviously we don't know who uh who's saved or who's gonna be saved yeah but god is on top of that like you just said god did not only ordain the ends as well as the means right not the yeah. memes but the means like god did not only ordain the fact that the church will succeed yeah. but he ordained the way the church is going to succeed and the ordination and the decree of the way is you and me obediently and joyfully obeying him and following him as little christ and picking up our cross and pursuing yeah. him and having fellowship with each other and him 